0: Welcome back. Last episode, I read Simonelli v. United States, a case that was argued before the court the same day as the case I'll be featuring in this episode, Percoco v. United States. Both center on former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's Buffalo Billions initiative intended to develop Buffalo, New York. Elaine Calieros, a name you might recognize from the Simonelli opinion last episode, intentionally secured a highly influential role in the Buffalo Billions Initiative in order to award contracts to particular developers of his choosing, a scheme he carried out successfully. Once people figured out what he had done, Calieros and others involved were charged and convicted of conspiracy to engage in wire fraud in 2018. The Second Circuit affirmed the wire fraud convictions on appeal relying on a right to control theory of wire fraud that allows for conviction on a showing that the defendant, through the withholding or inaccurate reporting of information that could impact economic decisions, deprived some person or entity of potentially valuable economic information. The question before the court in this case was whether a private citizen who has informal political or other influence over governmental decision-making owes a fiduciary duty to the general public such that he can be convicted of honest services fraud. Let's hear what the court decided in the brand new opinion in Percoco v. United States. Enjoy. Justice Alito delivered the opinion of the court, in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Sotomayor, Kagan, Kavanaugh, and Barrett joined, and in which Justice Jackson joined as to all but Part 2C2. Justice Gorsuch filed an opinion concurring in the judgment in which Justice Thomas joined. In this case, we consider whether a private citizen with influence over government decision-making can be convicted for wire fraud on the theory that he or she deprived the public of its intangible right of honest services. Petitioner Joseph Percoco was charged with conspiring to commit honest services wire fraud during a period of time that included an eight month interval between two stints as a top aide to the governor of New York. Percoco was convicted of this offense based on instructions that required the jury to determine whether he had a special relationship with the government and had dominated and controlled government business we conclude that this is not the proper test for determining whether a private person may be convicted of honest services fraud, and we therefore reverse and remand for further proceedings. Part 1. Percoco was a longtime political associate of former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Except for a brief but important hiatus in 2014, Perkoko served as the governor's executive deputy secretary from 2011 to 2016, and that position gave him a wide range of influence over state decision-making. In April 2014, Perkoko resigned from this position to manage the governor's reelection campaign but after the governor was re-elected, he resumed his role as Executive Deputy Secretary in December 2014. The question we address today arises from Percoco's activities during his break in government service. In July 2014, Empire State Development, ESD, a state agency, informed developer Stephen Aiello that his real estate company, COR Development, needed to enter into a labor peace agreement with local unions if he wished to receive state funding for a lucrative project. Interested in avoiding the costs of such an agreement, Aiello reached out to Percoco through an intermediary so that Percoco could, quote, help us with this issue while he is off the second floor, unquote, i.e., the floor that housed the governor's office. Percoco agreed and received two payments, totaling $35,000 from Aiello's company in August and October 2014. On December 3rd, mere days before returning to his old job, Percoco called a senior official at ESD and urged him to drop the labor peace requirement. ESD promptly reversed course the next day, and informed Aiello that the agreement was not necessary. Percoco's dealings in this and other matters later came to the attention of the United States Department of Justice, which obtained a multi-count indictment against Percoco and others for engaging in several allegedly illegal schemes. Percoco was charged with two counts of conspiring to commit honest services wire fraud— in violation of 18 U.S.C. Sections 1343, 1346, and 1349, two counts of soliciting bribes and gratuities in violation of section 666A1B, and three counts of Hobbs Act extortion in violation of section 1951. Only the wire fraud conspiracy count relating to the labor peace requirement, count 10, is directly at issue before this court. That count alleged a conspiracy running from at least in or about 2014 up to and including in or about 2015. That is, both during the time when Percoco was formally employed in the governor's office and during the period when he was working on the governor's campaign. Before trial, Percoco moved for dismissal of that count, and another conspiracy count overlapping with the campaign period, on the ground that a private citizen cannot commit or conspire to commit honest services wire fraud based on his own duty of honest services to the public. The district court denied that motion, noting that the indictment alleged that Percoco, while formally working on the governor's campaign, had continued to function in a senior advisory and supervisory role with regard to the governor's office and had continued to be involved in the hiring of staff and the coordination of the governor's official events and priorities, among other responsibilities. At trial, the prosecution introduced evidence to support the indictment's allegations about Percoco's activities during his break in official service, as well as evidence that he had expressed his intent and had made plans to resume official service after the election. At the end of the prosecution's case, Percoco again moved for judgment of acquittal on count ten contending that no evidence showed that he had taken any act in furtherance of that conspiracy while serving in an official government capacity. The court reserved decision on that motion, and the case was submitted to the jury. Over defense counsel's objection, The court instructed that Percoco could be found to have had a duty to provide honest services to the public during the time when he was not serving as a public official, if the jury concluded, first, that he dominated and controlled any governmental business, and second, that people working in the government actually relied on him because of a special relationship he had with the government. The jury convicted Percoco on count 10, as well as two other charged accounts relating to additional conduct, but acquitted him on the other charges. The court then denied Percoco's motion for judgment of acquittal, and he was sentenced to 72 months' imprisonment. On appeal, the Second Circuit affirmed, The court explained that the fiduciary duty jury instruction given by the trial judge fit comfortably with, and in fact restated, the understanding of honest services fraud that the Second Circuit had adopted many years earlier in United States v. Margiada, 1982. Based on that precedent, the court also rejected Percoco's claim that there was insufficient evidence to prove that he had owed New York State a duty of honest services while he was managing the governor's campaign. Percoco sought this court's review, asking us to decide whether a private citizen who has informal political or other influence over governmental decision-making can be convicted of honest services fraud we granted certiorari. Part 2 Section A As noted, the decision below was based squarely on the Second Circuit's 1982 decision in Margiata, and we therefore begin by briefly recounting the events that led up to and followed that decision. The Federal Wire Fraud Statute section 1343, targets the use of certain instrumentalities to advance any scheme or artifice to defraud, to advance any scheme or artifice to defraud, or for obtaining money or property by means of false or fraudulent pretenses, representations, or promises. Before 1987, all courts of appeals had embraced the view that these statutes proscribe what came to be known as honest services fraud. In most of these cases, public employees had accepted a bribe or kickback in exchange for dishonest conduct that did not necessarily cause their employers to suffer a financial loss, but this conduct was found to constitute mail or wire fraud because it deprived the relevant government unit of the right to receive honest services. In Margiada, the Second Circuit faced a case that departed from this pattern. Joseph Margiada chaired the Republican Party committees for Nassau County and the town of Hempstead, New York, and he used the influence that came with those positions to carry out a kickback scheme. He was indicted for honest services mail fraud, and although he held no elective office, the prosecution argued that he nevertheless breached a duty to render honest services because his party positions afforded him sufficient power and prestige to exert substantial control over public officials. A divided Second Circuit panel agreed. The majority found that there is no precise litmus paper test for determining when a private person owes a fiduciary duty to the general citizenry, but that two time-tested measures of fiduciary status were helpful. These were, one, whether others relied upon the accused because of his special relationship in the government, and two, whether he exercised de facto control over governmental decisions. Admitting that the case before it was novel and that determining when a private person owes a duty of honest services was a most difficult enterprise, the majority nevertheless concluded that a private person could commit honest services fraud if he or she dominated government. In a strongly worded partial dissent, Judge Winter complained that the majority's interpretation lacked the slightest basis in congressional intent, statutory language, or common canons of statutory interpretation, and that it erroneously treated a variety of politically active persons who have informal but strong influence over government as subject to the same duties as officeholders. This court declined to review the Second Circuit's decision, but that decision's life as Second Circuit precedent was short-lived. In McNally v. United States, 1987, the court considered a similar case, and rather than addressing the application of honest services fraud to private persons, the court rejected the entire concept of honest services fraud and held that the mail fraud statute was limited in scope to the protection of property rights. McNally's holding on honest services fraud, however, lasted for less time than Margiada's. Congress responded swiftly and enacted 18 U.S.C. Section 1346, which provides that the term scheme or artifice to defraud which appears in both section 1341 and 1343, includes a scheme or artifice to deprive another of the intangible right of honest services. Decades later, this court considered and rejected the broad argument that section 1346 is unconstitutionally vague and, in doing so, clarified the meaning of the phrase the Intangible Right of Honest Services. Noting Section 1346's use of the definite article, the, in the phrase, the Intangible Right of Honest Services, we held that Section 1346 covers the core of pre-McNally Honest Services case law and did not apply to all intangible rights of honest services whatever they might be thought to be. And we observed that, in the main, the pre-McNally cases involved fraudulent schemes to deprive another of honest services through bribes or kickbacks supplied by a third party who had not been deceived. We reasoned that those engaging in such schemes had sufficient reason to know that their conduct was proscribed. Skilling's approach informs our decision in this case. Here, the Second Circuit concluded that Congress effectively reinstated the Margiata theory cases by adopting statutory language that covered the theory. But Skilling was careful to avoid giving Section 1346 an intermediate breadth that would sweep in any conception of intangible rights of honest services, recognized by some courts, prior to McNally. This is illustrated by Skilling's rejection of the government's argument that Section 1346 should be held to reach cases involving undisclosed self-dealing by a public official or private employee, i.e. the taking of official action by the employee that furthers his own undisclosed financial interests while purporting to act in the interests of those to whom he owes a fiduciary duty. Because the pre-McNally lower court decisions involving such conduct were inconsistent, we concluded that this amorphous category of cases did not constitute core applications of the honest services doctrine. Skilling's teaching is clear. The intangible right of honest services must be defined with the clarity Typical of criminal statutes, and should not be held to reach an ill defined category of circumstances simply because of a smattering of pre McNally decisions. With this lesson in mind, we turn to the question whether the theory endorsed by the lower courts in this case gave Section 1346 an uncertain breadth that raises the due process concerns underlying the vagueness doctrine. Section B. As noted, Percoco moved before trial for dismissal of the honest services conspiracy count at issue on ground that he was out of public office during part of the time period within the indictment, and that a private citizen cannot be convicted of depriving the public of honest services. He advanced a similar theory in his motion for acquittal, emphasizing that he was acting under a short-term agreement with Aiello's firm within the period in which he was no longer a state employee. On this point, Percoco's arguments sweep too broadly. To be sure, the pre-McNally record on honest services fraud is clearest when the government seeks to prosecute actual public officials. Most of the pre-McNally honest services prosecutions including what appears to be the first case to adopt that theory, involved actual public officials. But we reject the argument that a person nominally outside public employment can never have the necessary fiduciary duty to the public. Without becoming a government employee, individuals not formally employed by a government entity may enter into agreements that make them actual agents of the government. An agent owes a fiduciary obligation to the principal, and therefore an agent of the government has a fiduciary duty to the government and thus to the public it serves. In this court, Percoco has agreed that individuals who are delegated authority to act on behalf of a public official and to perform government duties have a duty to provide honest services. This well-established principle suffices to confirm that the lower courts correctly rejected Percoco's per se rule and, in doing so, did not stretch Section 1346 past Heartland cases. Rejecting this absolute rule, however, is not enough to sustain Percoco's convictions on the wire fraud conspiracy counts. The intangible right of honest services codified in section 1346 plainly does not extend a duty to the public, to all private persons, and whether the correct test was applied in this case returns us to Margiata. Section C. Percoco challenges the Margiata theory that underlay the jury instructions in this case. And we must therefore decide whether those instructions are correct. We hold they are not. 1. Directly applying Margiada, the trial judge told the jury that Percoco owed a duty of honest services to the public if 1. he dominated and controlled any governmental business, and 2. People working in the government actually relied on him because of a special relationship he had with the government. But Margiada's standard is too vague. From time immemorial, there have been éminence grise individuals who lacked any formal government position, but nevertheless exercised very strong influence over government decisions. Some of these individuals have been reviled. Others have been respected as wise counselors. The Margiata test could be said to apply to many who fell into both of these camps. It could also be used to charge particularly well-connected and effective lobbyists. Margiata acknowledged that the public has no right to disinterested service from lobbyists and political party officials, but the rule it developed, which was embodied in the jury instructions given in this case, implies that the public does hold such a right whenever such person's clout exceeds some ill-defined threshold. Margiata set a low bar, i.e., the point at which a defendant's influence goes beyond minimum participation in the processes of government. The instructions in this case demanded more. V's proof of domination. But what does that mean in concrete terms? Is it enough if an elected official almost always heeds the advice of a long-time political advisor? Is it enough if an officeholder leans very heavily on recommendations provided by a highly respected predecessor, family member, or old friend? Without further constraint, Margiata does not, and thus the jury instructions did not, define the intangible right of honest services with sufficient definiteness that ordinary people can understand what conduct is prohibited, or in a manner that does not encourage arbitrary and discriminatory enforcement. 2. The government does not defend these jury instructions as an accurate statement of the law, but it argues that their imprecision was harmless. Specifically, the government argues that a private individual owes a duty of honest services to the public in two discrete circumstances. One, when the person has been selected to work for the government in the future, and two, when the person exercises the functions of a government position with the acquiescence of relevant government personnel. The first theory differs substantially from the jury instructions, which did not tell the jury that Percoco could be found to owe a duty of honest services because he had been selected for future government service. While the prosecution offered evidence that Percoco intended to return to government service after the election and had made plans to do so, the jury could have found that the requirements set out in the jury instructions were satisfied without relying on that evidence. Thus, even if we assume for the sake of argument that there is some merit in the government's first new theory, it is far from clear that the erroneous jury instructions would be harmless. The government's second new theory i.e. that a private citizen owes a duty to render honest services when the person exercises the functions of a government position with the acquiescence of relevant government personnel, appears, as defined in its brief, to restate Margiada's erroneous construction of the law. Moreover, the jury was not told that it was necessary to find that relevant government personnel acquiesced in Percoco's exercise of government functions. In short, the jury instructions are substantially different from either of the government's new theories, and the Second Circuit, which treated even the language of the government, now disclaims, in Margiata as good law, did not affirm on either of these theories. We decline to do so here. For these reasons, the judgment of the Court of Appeals is reversed, and the case is remanded for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. It is so ordered. We've come to the end of the opinion, Until next episode, thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us.